we concluded the Easter season, of course, with the solemnity of Pentecost, and then the, the two Sundays following, we have two more solemnities, solemnity of the most, uh, most Holy Trinity, and then today of the most holy body and blood of Jesus. So our focus, of course, I mean, it's out, the Eucharist is kind of the focus of every Mass, right? But particularly so today. And so let's just do a little bit of a review. It'll be on the test, so take your notes. And um, it's funny, there's this one little girl at the 8.30, she always takes notes and shows me, and she has like three pages of notes in her little notebook, which is good to read after the 8.30 so I can remember what I preached about for the 10.30. (laughs) So, okay, so a little bit of review. Now we believe, and by the way, we have always believed, going back to the apostles, that the bread and the wine are substantially changed into the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. At every mass, that's what happens. That, that God, in a way, is able to transform the, the inner reality of the bread and the wine. The outer reality remains the same, the accidents, but the substance is changed into the body and blood of Jesus. Now, this is something that, again, we have always believed. In fact, the first Christians, again, the first Christians were all Catholic, the first Christians all believed that the Eucharist was the Eucharist, and they talked about consuming the body and blood of the Lord. And they were actually accused of being cannibals by, you know, obviously non-Catholics in the region, particularly uh, by the Romans, because nobody really understood what they were doing, but that's because they would hear, others would hear about the beliefs Hence the accusation, well, they must be cannibals if they're eating and, you know, drinking the body and blood of, you know, someone. Of course, the others didn't know who. So from the earliest church, church uh, writings, we have the belief set, not just on the Eucharist, but today, since we're focusing on that, the belief had already been set that Jesus, in fact, as Paul says in the second reading, told them to do this. And they continued to do it as though they had been given the authority to do it. They continued to, if you will, say mass or celebrate the Lord's Supper um, and believe that what they were consuming was really his body and blood. Now, why would God do this? I mean, that's the question that I would always go back to is, okay, so that's what we believe as Catholics, but why would he do it that way? I don't know. I mean, there's other ways to get us grace, et cetera. So why would he do it that way? Well, What we have to remember is that the Eucharist was instituted at the Passover. And remember what the Passover is. You remember your movies, right? The Passover, back to Egypt, back to the the Jews being enslaved in Egypt, and Pharaoh is not gonna let them go. And Moses keeps telling him, you know, in, in God's voice, let my people go. There's nothing like Charlton Heston saying that, let my people go. And he wouldn't let him go, wouldn't let him go. And so the last plague, if you will, is that God sends his angel to kill every firstborn male in the land. However, to, a, to get that angel to pass over your home, God told his people, take an unblemished lamb, kill it, consume it, and spread its blood on the doorpost. And then the angel of the Lord will pass over your home and you will be saved. And furthermore, you will be definitively saved from Pharaoh 
through this act, through this act of eating and consuming the lamb. And then he's going to let you go and you're going to be able to enter into the holy land so that this meal, this Passover meal is representative of the beginning of the journey to the promised land. Okay. So then for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that's what they do. They, they, every year they celebrate the Passover and they remember how God saved them, spared them, how the angel of the Lord passed over them and that they were delivered from slavery into redemption. And so it's stuck in their minds, right? It's, it's, it's just stuck. It's, it's embedded in the consciousness of, of God's people. And then Jesus comes along and he doesn't change the old. He brings the old into its proper fulfillment. In other words, it's kind of like saying, okay, you've been doing this Passover meal for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now I'm gonna show you how God intends for this Passover to really work. No longer is it going to be symbolic, but it's, it's going to actually convey grace. And so that Passover, Jesus takes the bread and the wine, but now he does something different. And he says, this is my body. You know, and the apostles are probably thinking, that's not in the script, what's happening. But it's the Lord and they've been with him for three years, they trust him. And so he does something different at this Passover with the, with the bread and the wine, you know, and he says, this is my body, this is my blood, and do keep doing this in remembrance of me. And that's exactly what they have done and we continue to do up to this day. The Saturday night mass, Father Frank pretty much always, you know, does that mass. And I'll pop in usually, you know, about every Saturday or every other Saturday, I'll pop in and I'll greet people and stuff. And then once mass gets going and et cetera, I'll, you know, take off and, um, and go home. When every time I do so, there's always a few stragglers coming in. So as I'm, as I'm walking out to the truck, you know, I get a lot of this. <laughs> and, uh, which is just the funniest darn thing. And, um, or you just get people straight up saying, wow, we're late, sorry, Father. And, you know, the, the thing, I mean, I get it, you know, it, it's just life, life happens, you know. I'm just, I'm happy that people are, are trying to get here, you know. And um, uh, nobody really wants to be late, but, but uh, life, right? Well, so anyway, yesterday, I, there were a couple of those folks, and then I got to my truck, and I was sitting in my truck just kind of checking my phone, and, and I saw this woman get out of her car. Well, it's like the homily. <laughs> She's really late, you know? And I was just kind of watching. And then um, she gets the stroller out, right? And then she gets the little one out, puts, her, puts him or her in the stroller. And my heart was just moved with, I didn't get a chance to talk to her, but, but my heart was just filled with emotion for her. I thought, wow, what did it take her today to get here? You know, what did she have to go? You know, especially you all know with little ones how you get the best laid plans, right? And then something happens. And, um, and I don't know why she was late, but, but it, it didn't really matter to me because I was just so struck by her desire to be here. 
that, that even though, because, you know, I mean, a lot of, if you're that late, a lot of times you'll be like, yeah, let's go to a movie. But she's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to mass. And even though she had missed a bit of it, she wanted to bring her, her baby and she wanted to be here. And to me, it was just a beautiful sight, just thinking about the sacrifice, you know, the, the struggle that who knows what it took for her to be there yesterday. And I think about that when I see all of you, um, especially if you have little ones, you know, how, how that can be such a challenge. And I'm so grateful for, for your sacrifice and, and for how much you have to do. And, and some, of, some of you folks who physically, you know, it's hard to get here too. I see some people, you know, gosh, thinking of Father Frank, you know, it takes him like 10 minutes to get from his, his car into the church. I think, wow, what a, you know, what a dedicated man he is. Anyway, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And, you know, so as parents, you know what it's like to have to empty yourself out, right? You know what it's like to have to just sort of give everything for your kids because there's no one else. It's just you. You're the one who has to do what needs to be done for your children all the time. And I, I can only imagine that when your head hits, finally hits the pillow at night, you've never loved sleep so much, right? Because, oh, I mean, you love your kids, but boy, you really love that pillow. And you hope you'll make it through the night uh, without interruption. So that emptying out is something I really, really see in, in the lives of families. I see it in fathers and mothers, the emptying out for your children. I remember uh, thinking of my own father, He's, he died in 2013. And when I was really little, he was like the smartest guy in the world. He was so smart. And then for some reason, when I turned 15, he started to get really dumb. <laughs> like all of a sudden he didn't know anything, you know? And that lasted for like 20 years. He didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden when I was 35, he started getting smart again. I don't know what happened to him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, so the, the rest of his life, um, you know, particularly as I grew up, obviously, um, our relationship got better and better. And thankfully, toward the end of his life, I was able to, to thank him for all of the sacrifices that he made, all of the overtimes, all of the, the extra work, all of the, I mean, I always knew that I was secure because of my dad. I just always knew that the family would be taken care of. He took that very, very seriously. And I'm so grateful that I had the awareness and the maturity before he died to be able to share those, those feelings and thoughts with him. That emptying out. Well, this is what, of course, Jesus modeled for us as well. I mean, there's this, first there's this emptying out of you know, God becoming man, the second person of the Trinity taking human flesh, that's already an emptying out of the self, giving of the entire self for, for his people. And then as he lived his life, there, there's really this clear sacrifice that's happening as he's giving and giving and giving and giving, emptying out. And, and in the gospel today, we have the feeding of the, and we're just told there's 5,000 men, then there's women and there's children, right? So there's a lot of people. It's a big, big crowd no food, very little food. And instead of dismissing the crowds and telling them to go, go into town or go back to town so that you can eat, the Lord desires to do something lavish. 
right? And so he takes the little that they have, the bread and the fish, the little that they have, and he blesses it and he performs a miracle. And we're told that everybody ate and had their fill, not just they, they, they had a morsel and they were like sharing it, that kind of nonsense. No, they had their fill and there were 12 wicker baskets left over. The lavish uh, bounty that God provides for his people, the desire to provide for his children, this is who our God is, that he desires to give and give, right? And fathers and certainly mothers as well, when, when you image Jesus in this way, you are really at your best as parents, this emptying out, this giving of the self. And what the Lord wants to do is he wants to give us, just like any, any good parent, the Lord desires to give us what we truly need. Not always what we want, but what we truly, truly need. And I think it's probably a pretty good presumption that the one who created us knows what we need. And so in giving us what we need, he gives us what? His very self. He gives us himself so that he might dwell within us. His grace might dwell within us. There's no greater gift that we can receive than the Holy Eucharist because it's God himself. And so as, as Catholics, we believe this for, for well over 2,000 years now, and we practiced it faithfully for that long. But at the same time, it can be difficult to understand, well, why, how does it work and how does it... And yeah, I could teach you a class on transubstantiation and you would be just as confused as when I started it, some of you, because it kind of makes sense, but then there's parts of it that are really, it's just difficult. How do you explain God, you know? How do you explain what God does? You can only kind of approach it. You can get close sometimes, but it's always gonna remain a mystery. But there's no doubt what God said to do, what Jesus, God, said to do. Take the bread, take the wine, bless it. It becomes me and now you consume it because I am the new Passover lamb. I am the new lamb. And through my sacrifice, not, not only have you been you know, preserved from you know, like the first Passover, earthly trials. No, you've actually now been preserved from eternal death. Through my action on the cross, I have opened for you the gates of paradise. I have opened for you heaven, and I desire for you to be there with me always. And I so therefore will give you a foretaste of heaven by giving you myself, so that on the journey, you are constantly renewed with my grace. And so I invite you today when you come forward to receive the Holy Eucharist to, you know, within your heart, within your soul, within your mind, to renew your love for Jesus, to, to have gratitude when you come forward. The Eucharist means, of course, thanksgiving, right? A Greek word for thanksgiving. And so when we come forward, we're so grateful that God is faithful to us, even though we're not always faithful to him, that he continues to give us himself for the journey. Please stand.